I get a knock at the door on a Saturday and it's the postman with a letter saying that I owe the IRS Internal Revenue Service for those of you who are outside of the US $498,000 in back taxes and fees. And then I got a $209,000 fine for not supervising my employee. So how the heck could that happen? Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community where you get access to the tools you need to create, grow, and protect your wealth. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Susan Fru. Susan, are you ready to join the mission? I am. Bring it on. <laughs> here it comes. Well, let me introduce you to the audience. Susan is a renowned, entertaining, and value-driven speaker and thought leader. She has coached hundreds of companies and nonprofits to great success. Susan and her husband, William, grew their trade business by 535% in just one year by creatively using seven deceptively simple tools, hmm, coupled with some good old-fashioned elbow grease. As a result, Sunshine Home Services now boasts a coveted spot on the Inc. 5000 list as one of the Inc. best places to work. Susan, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you bring to this wonderful world. Well, we came at this business a little bit different than I think many. I was a business coach. I had just come back from an international assignment with AT&T and I bought a business coaching franchise. And through that experience, I met my husband and he was in new home plumbing. So I thought that after we had just gone through a horrible recession, that we should start a service plumbing business. And we moved to the Denver market and we started our company. Mm. And our big claim to fame is sending a thank you note to everyone every single time. We would send brownies if it was a larger purchase. And they were not Colorado brownies. They were just regular brownies. We would send gifts. We would send boo-boo flowers if we messed up. And we really got a reputation in the women market for being a little bit different than the average home services company. And that is something that's really taken us, you know, from my husband in a truck to having a, a formidable size company that we're bringing forward into the future. It's interesting, you know, what you're talking about is a very simple thing. I mean, come on. How can such a simple thing as sending messages and gifts and notes and brownies and, you know, all that... First question is, how could such a simple thing have such a massive impact? And second question is, if it's so simple and powerful, why isn't everybody doing it? I think it's time and people feel, oh, you know, that's too expensive. I don't want to do that. But if you look at the lifetime value of a customer in the plumbing or HVAC space, I mean, it's it's significant. I mean, if I have that same client for 20 years, they could buy two furnaces. They could buy two water heaters. They could buy four garbage disposals. I mean, it adds up and they can refer us to a lot of their friends and family. Mm, yeah, I mean, there's nothing like being treated, you know, in a 
in a special sort of way. I guess, you know, mm -hmm. friends for life, customers for life, yes. lifetime value is critical. Tell us, you know, you mentioned about seven simple tools. You also talk about your speaking. Maybe you can just give us a little bit of a hint about what you're doing on the speaking front. Well, I mainly speak to trade conventions. So I speak to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, roofing. I mean, you name it. I've coached 19 different trades. Mm. So that really lays the foundation for a ton. But lately, what I'm speaking about is this, Andrew, because this is something that is hugely troublesome here in the United States and probably around the world is finding good workers. And I have a new keynote called Rockstar Recruiting for a New Generation. And I have come up with these very simple tools that I have been using. I've hired five people in the last six weeks mm. using my little special secret sauce. And that is something that I'm teaching people how to do. I mean, not my competitors, but <laughs> yeah. everyone else. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because even over here in Thailand, we have, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a perennial problem for everybody to figure out how mm -hmm. do we get better and better people into our business. And one of the little tricks that I've done over the years is, well, I didn't do it for the purposes of hiring, but I did it because I'm a teacher. I love teaching. So I started a course. Well, my expertise is in valuation of companies. So I started a course called the Valuation Masterclass. And then later we started the Valuation Masterclass boot camp. And for the boot camp, I always wear my very Aha. strong hat. And for those listeners out there, I'm putting on my drill sergeant hat. It's a tough six week program. We have about a 30%, you know, dropout rate, but the 70% that survive, they've got the skills in valuation. They got the determination and imagine I can hire any one of those. If I have a position available and I can recommend those people to my corporate sponsors. So Absolutely. I see a lot of value in doing like competitions and doing like courses and training because you get to see them kind of from the inside. What, what do you think about that in relation to what you're doing? Well, my husband does work at the trade school, so that's wonderful. And he teaches the first years. Now, granted, a smaller company like ours probably wouldn't be interested in hiring the first years, but you know, a few years down the line, we hope that they think about us if they're looking to go into the service world. But something that I have learned is using video because we are attracting a new and different generation of worker that wants to be connected more personally and in a deeper relationship. They don't want to work for a company. They want to work for a human being mm. that they like, know, and trust. And so I have been sending personalized videos when I see a great resume and making videos about what it's like to work for our company and what, what's it like here and what we're looking for. And then doing video interviews. So we're really just trying to take it, take it tech up, right? Mm. I always believe that tech first and people second, you know, when we're trying to find a solution. That's interesting. I mean, we do that with our scholarship applications. We always have them submit videos so we can kind of get a feeling and then, and then go to the next step. So yeah, videos is interesting. You said something that really made me kind of it made me think because when I worked in Los Angeles, I worked for Pepsi. And when people ask me, where do you work? You work for Pepsi. But what I learned in Thailand is that people don't work for companies. They work for people. And so if you ask someone who you yeah. work for, they say, well, I work for, you know, so-and-so. And they don't connect, you know, what they connect with is people. And so here you're saying that that's what the new generation is 
you know, looking for, and I, I guess all generations probably look for that, but maybe even more so there's less connection in this world. So why not at least find a boss that you feel connected with? I went out and I interviewed a lot of young people and I asked them, what do they want in a boss? What's important to them in an employer? And those were some of the things that I heard. They wanted a personal connection. They wanted to be known for who they are. They wanted to work for a socially responsible company. Mm. They wanted to work for a company that had promise for a promotion. They wanted, and this is an interesting one, which I think some of the older audiences that I speak with are a little perplexed by this. They wanted mental health to be treated like a real thing mm. and to be treated just like any other illness or problem where I may have to call out on a Monday because I need a mental health day and they don't want to be ridiculed and they don't want that to be you know marked against them in any way. And they're very, very open about that, where I think older generations really kept that kind of information much closer to the vest. Mm. Yeah. Such huge changes going on in the workforce for sure. Well, what's the best way for people to connect with you, where is the best place for them to go? The best place to find me is on LinkedIn and it's Susan Frew, F-R-E-W. It's the best way to find me mm. or Susan at SusanFrewSpeaks.com is another way. Great. Well, we'll have links to that in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen, so you can learn more. Well, now, Susan, it's time to share your worst investment uh -oh. ever and since nobody goes into their worst investment thinking it will be. Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, as I mentioned, I left my AT&T assignment. I was in the Caribbean for two years. I was in uh, Grenada and St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And when I came back, I bought a business coaching franchise actually an Australia-based business coaching franchise in Breckenridge, Colorado. Started coaching and met my husband through that. We moved down to Denver and I was still coaching and speaking. And he was starting this little plumbing company using my office. And, you know, all of a sudden we started growing and growing and growing. And I uh, left my coaching practice. I'd become sick around that time too. So I, it just wasn't, wasn't in the cards for me to continue coaching at that point. So we started the plumbing company and things were like rocket ship launching and we were undercapitalized. And, you know, I, I, there's no shame in that. In most businesses are, we were undercapitalized. We were bootstrapping. I joke that I was sunshine home services, sugar mama. And sometimes <laughs> I still am. <laughs> and so what started happening is I started getting busier and busier with speaking again. And I really, that's what I love to do. I love to be on a stage. I love to be delivering a keynote or a breakout and, and working with people out in the world and traveling. And that's, that's what lights me up. And so I started doing that and I left my company in the hands of an employee that really wasn't the best employee idea ever. You know, she had passed all the background checks, but that was about it. And as I was traveling and traveling and, and you know, this is a lot to do and I'm going to take full responsibility. The next part of this is due to my ego, mm. right? Because I was the boss and I could do what I want and I could not delegate things to employees. I could abdicate and dump all the crap I didn't want to do on employees, which is what I did. And of course, I didn't have the proper supervision in place and I didn't have the, you know, trust but verify model. And my employee was allowed to get mail and they were allowed to use my credit card. So they had access to my bank accounts and to all of our accounts all over, like our 
a tiger account and auto repair, you name it, tools. So one day I'm home and I had dismissed the employee. We had had a blow up a few months before this happened. And I was really starting to peel back the onion of what had happened. And I get a knock at the door on a Saturday and it's the postman with a letter saying that I owe the IRS Internal Revenue Service, for those of you who are outside of the U.S., $498,000 in back taxes and fees. And then I got a $209,000 fine for not supervising my employee. So how the heck could that happen, right? I was a business coach. I'm very astute at financials. I've taught financials, but this is what she was doing. She was, I put her on a pay plan, which I thought was genius at the time, that she would get a bonus every month if she could stay on budget. Well, her way of staying on budget was to short the bills, not not pay the bills, but short them. So if we owed the IRS on Friday 5000 she paid four. If we owed four, she paid three, so on and so forth, all the way down the line. And she didn't realize, though, at the end of that period, it would take about 18 months for the IRS to match up the W-2s with all of the 941 deposits and signature sheets that I would submit in with that, with my signature on them, mm. that all of that would catch up. So that is what happened. Then peeling back the onion even further, we found out that she had used our tire account and bought car tires for everyone in her family's cars. She had taken one of our gas cards because it was her job to study the gas bill every month, which is a big project. We have a lot of vehicles and that's always an area for theft in the trades where, you know, you can fill up somebody else's car while you're filling up your own. Right. And she bought tools at the the local parts store on our account. So it was just nonstop. She ended up getting charged with six felonies during the pandemic, which she didn't get any jail time or anything. She just had to pay me $100 a month. But we were a million dollars in debt. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. So humiliatingly, well, first of all, I should back up because if I'm going to be really honest and blame this on my ego. I need to share with you what happened next. Mm. You know, we all heard Brene Brown's fabulous TED talk about being vulnerable, right? Well, I went in and told my team, guess what, guys? We're a million dollars in debt, but we're going to get through this. Uh, yeah, bad move. She later said, hey, don't be so vulnerable that you're going to like hurt yourself and others. Like that part was left out in the beginning. So I lost 10 employees almost right away. And then I realized that the big facility that we had, the big ego facility with the lighted sign on the side of the highway, that had to go. Mm. And we moved, we moved the entire office operations into my house, into the basement. And then we moved our shop into this little small shop down the road and our revenue dropped significantly, but I was able to make us profitable again. Mm. And we were able to dig out over $750,000 in the last two years. It's actually getting closer than that. We're, we're getting, I, I'm going to run my numbers here pretty soon with a grand total, but we're getting really close to being completely paid off of everything that had been transpired during that time. 
And, you know, it, it's still a struggle, right? Like I'm not ready to sell this company because, you know, being a, you know, valuation expert that my EBITDA is not where it needs to be if you're mm. in that much debt. And, you know, I actually have a new word for EBITDA. Well, I call it EBIT, exit before it tanks. Uh, that's, <laughs> what I sh- that's what I should have done. So my, uh. my focus in the next five years, we're doing some really disruptive things in our industry. We have put all of our prices on the website. My competitors are going to hate that. We're adding more and more every single month. And that's just the way we're going to run. Mm. We're going to run full transparency. You wake up in the middle of the night, you have no heat, you're freaking out. We don't want you to have anxiety. Please look on our website, put in your your address. We will get the dimensions from Zillow and we will give you a quote. Right. And, you know, and if that works for you, then we'll come out on Monday and we will conduct our service call. But that's our story. It's been a rough one. Wow. <laughs> was there a day that you can remember that was like the worst day where you just like kind of it all caved in on you talking to your husband or you were alone or what was the the day? Yeah. So we had belonged to this peer group with the plumbing association and we would meet in different cities around the country each quarter. And we would go to different people's shops and whoever shop that, you know, we went to, they had to host the meeting. They had to buy the food. They had to, you know, they had to put on the show for the rest of the people. Well, everything had just hit the fan about a week before. We had no money, nothing. We were busted and we couldn't afford the food. We couldn't afford the hotel room that we rented. We couldn't have at our office because, you know, we were already behind on rent and it was so humiliating. Yeah. And then I think the second batch of humiliation, if you will, is I wrote a letter to every single one of my vendors and I told them, I know I owe you money. And, you you know, pretty much you must think I'm an idiot that I didn't already know that, but mm. I didn't. And now I know. And so I promise you till my dying day, I will pay you back. And every Friday we would have a fun Friday payday. And we would, I would send whatever money I could to each of these people. Mm. And I had all of these slip charts all around in my cubicle in the basement. Yep. And I would chalk off that I was paid this one, $25, 50, hundred, whatever I had, they would get. And every single vendor was phenomenal except for one. And that's just one we'll never use again. So, Well, it's a good lesson that I'll I'll come to my lessons I take away. But let's review. How would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this experience? Don't take yourself too seriously. Mm -hmm. You need to trust but verify every single employee. You need to find metrics of accountability. Please do not abdicate to someone and dump it on someone else to do your work. You need to have an accountability process in place. Definitely don't take yourself too seriously and get to your own mail. Because Mm. if I had been getting my mail, this wouldn't have happened. You would have seen it. And I also think you need to have an always, always have an outside bookkeeper who Mm. is really a very strong taskmaster and can really dig in and has no emotional attachment to your office manager, whoever's doing your internal accounting so that they can, you know, scratch down in there and find any variances. Yep. Yep. Maybe uh, I'll share some of the things that I took away. The first thing is that I've talked to so many people who have lost money in 
startup companies and running their businesses. And I always say, if there's one piece of advice for anybody that's doing their own business, it is the following. Get on time and accurate monthly financial statements. And every single month without fail, and don't let anybody like an accountant may say, well, you don't need that as much, you know, just a revenue thing or no, no, no. Because actually, in many cases, if you have a sizable business, you're going to have to do accrual accounting, and the accountant will do that. And then you'll be able to see that, okay, wait a minute, hold on, we paid 5000 to the IRS, but here there's an accrual or there's a a liability building up here. What's that? Oh, wait a minute. That's that's another hundred thousand that we didn't pay. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that is one big thing I would say. The second thing that I would say is I remember when I made, I made a mistake in my career at one point and it was difficult time. And I talked to my mom and dad and, you know, I felt really ashamed about it. And I had apologized to the people that were involved with it at the company and all of that stuff. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was difficult. And I was like, dad, how am I going to like face the community or whatever? And he said, you don't need to say anything. You've already said, you know, you're, you were wrong and you, you're sorry to the people involved. You've talked to us about it and therefore get on with it and get on with what you got to do. And so the lesson that I learned is it's very important to be vulnerable, but, you know, be vulnerable with a small group of people that you trust and then get out there and, you know, and that doesn't mean that I would avoid talking about it if I was asked, you know, I'm not trying to run away, but it's just that you don't need to go out there and share with everybody, everything. And then the last thing that I just want to say is I wrote this down when you're speaking, profit is glorious. (laughs) Yeah, this is true. (laughs) <laughs> or exit or exit before it tanks, you know, yeah. so one, well, one of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that, you know, ultimately profit solves so many problems. And so for everyone out there that's struggling, focus on continuing to build the profit in your business. All right. Now, let me ask you, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action? would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, I knew my books pretty well and I'm in QuickBooks a lot, but Mm. you can still monkey around with them. What I would say is really have an understanding of your financials. I mean, I even recommend more than monthly. Like Mm. if you can be in there every day and looking at your transactions, I mean, and in plumbing and heating, we have so many transactions, right? right you've right. got 10 trucks running times three, three jobs a day, and that's a lot. Mm. So really watching that money and also being very humble with your team. I mean, I have now put my desk, I'm in my home studio here, but mm. I have a desk in the middle of our plumbing shop. Right. And that is where I am most effective because I can hear, I can feel it. I can smell it. I can understand what's going on. I can catch little annoyances before they become big annoyances. And it's just been a remarkable experience for me, which I never expected. Fantastic. What's a resource of either something of yourself that you've got or anything else that's inspired you or helped you that you'd like to recommend with to the audience? I'm going to recommend self-care. And I know that sounds really overused. Okay. And everyone has a different level of what 
self-care means, but if you're going to go out there and run a company and you have employees that are counting on you and you know, families that are counting on you, you need to be in A1 shape. And that does not mean, you know, eating pizza at 11 o'clock at night and never going to the gym or getting some fresh air, whatever it is. You need to make time for that because it's going to make your focus better. It's going to make you stronger. It will give you better opportunity to make better decisions. So don't let that slide Mm. because that really is the fuel of the engine that you need to be a peak performer. Great advice. Well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is, you know, I recently in the last 90 days have come back full force to run Sunshine. And that's when I put my desk in the middle of the shop. And I have not done that in a number of years. My husband uh, was in charge. He doesn't really love that part of the business and and that's fine. Everyone's got to do their thing. He needs to be him and I'm going to be me. You can't turn zebras into llamas. So for me, the next five years, starting with next year is we are looking for the exit at the end mm-hmm. and having a nice big EBITDA, healthy, big EBITDA number, serving our clients first and doing an amazing job because that's what's going to drop to the bottom line and really being involved in every facet of the business and driving us to where we need to be. Exciting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet joined the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. As we conclude, Susan, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting (laughs) words for the audience? You know, make sure that you surround yourself with really loving, supportive people that you can trust because you need them. And you do not need to be dumping all your problems on your employees. Find that really coveted group of experts that are your friends, maybe they're your family, you know, mentors, and you got to keep them close because those are the people who are going to get you to where you need to go. Beautiful. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host saying, I'll see you on the upside.